Hi there, and welcome to One Body, One Life, proudly sponsored by Jamae's Fine Foods. I'm Vicky Nguyen, and I'm on a personal mission to live to 120, and I would absolutely love to take you on this journey with me. This fortnightly show is focused on longevity and understanding how we can all live longer and stronger through diet, exercise, lifestyle, nutrition, and so on. Each episode, we will uncover tips and tricks to living your healthiest and happiest life for as long as physically possible. I'll be chatting to the experts as well as people who have defied the odds and explore various treatments and modalities to help us all reach optimal wellness. So in today's episode, I interview the life change master, Dr. Nima Romani. Dr. Nima spent 18 years practicing as a chiropractor, aligning people's bodies and adjusting subluxations, balancing out nervous systems, and all through his observations, he realized that the pains and ailments people were harboring in their physical bodies were a direct result of some level of mental or emotional stress, trauma, or blockage. Dr. Nima created the program, The Overview Experience, to help people break through their trauma overcome depression and anxiety, and start living the life of their dreams with authenticity, passion, and purpose. Wow. What a fulfilling job you have. Welcome to the show, Dr. Nima. Thank you. I was literally, as you, um, as we were getting all set up, I'm standing in my office. Yes. And just looking back at the conversations that I had today with clients and the fact that I get to chat with you and that I'm booking my flight to Brazil to Australia, to Barcelona, uh, to Toronto, so that I could go and have more of these conversations that I love having. And I'm like, this is my job. Like, what a pinch life. me. Because yes. five, five years ago, I'm sitting in my chiropractic clinic really frustrated as to why I wasn't able to go out and tell people the truth of why they were in the office in the first place. Like, I was frustrated at dealing with the end stages of the stressful cycle. And I wanted to have to, to, to be able to go upstream. And I was like literally looking in the mirror, pinching myself that I was about to have this conversation with you. Excellent. I'm so, <laughs> so excited. Yeah, I love my job. That, like, can you imagine? You must. So, so this show, One Body, One Life, is all about, I mean, my purpose with this is to help people live longer, stronger, happier, healthier lives. And I recently interviewed Nick Butner from the Blue Zones. And mm-hmm. um, he talks a lot about the power nine and ways people, you know, can live longer and stronger. And it's heavily centered around purpose and relationships. And I mean, I know you do a lot mm-hmm. of work with, um, you know, helping people overcome depression, anxiety, and help them live the life of their dreams. So I really want to focus today on the relationship side of things with you. No, I was just going to say, you just said that the whole purpose behind your show is helping expand, like live longer lives that are more fulfilling. Yes. The number one predictor of your quality of your experience on this planet is the quality of your relationships. And I had no idea about that. It wasn't even a priority until I realized it, not only in my own life, with the breakdowns of my relationships, but also the research, how clearly it shows about the quality of the intimacy within your relationships all through your life will be your greatest predictor of how your experience of life will be. Absolutely. So, I mean, when I look at my husband, he was um, a migrant. He came from Vietnam over on a boat and he had a pretty traumatic I guess, upbringing or start early years. And I think a lot of that, I mean, he's done yep. a lot of work to heal himself, but how is your opinion of people in their adult life, like their relationships with themselves and with others is primarily due to inner child or past experiences? Let's take it into context. Your experience of life is all determined by the quality of your relationship. Right. And the quality of your current relationships, if you look at it, is a 
projection, is a mirror, is a transference of all of your primitive uh, relationships with your primary caregivers and everyone up to now is a direct result of that. So your younger self, so, so in other words, your relationship with your younger self and your younger self's experience and interpretation and all the traumas that they've endured and and are holding on into their bodies will be the greatest predictor with absolute certainty of the patterns that you keep finding yourself in in your current relationship patterns, even at work. You're constantly finding yourself not able to hold a job because you're not able to get along with your boss. You can't handle your boss. You just, that, that's just, there's a problem there. Then you have an, you know, relationship with authority. You might want to look at your relationship with your father. I mean, it's everything you're going through now has to do with your younger self's experience of life. And most of it's unconscious until you do the work it takes to bring up those wounds and to start to fill the cracks in the floorboard and heal them. Do they need to reach a critical crisis to realize that there is a problem that has stemmed from their younger self experience? You know, like how, uh, yeah. talk to me about that. Good question. Good question. Uh, one of my favorite authors, he's a Jungian psychologist named James Hollis. He says that the first half of life is a great mistake, is a gigantic mistake. Right. <laughs> Your first half of life pretty much is an, is an unconscious situation is that you go through life and you have no idea how the early complexes of your relationships with your parents, your siblings, you know, teachers, preachers, all of that is a kind of an undertone of how you behave in your partnerships. And most of the time, we don't take a look at those things. We don't look at that because it's too painful or it's uncomfortable or we've forgotten, we've repressed it. And there's no um, real um, onus or responsibility to go look at that and to dig things up and to make sense of the past. We don't, we don't really do that until we experience a wake-up call. Absolutely. And so... Unfortunately, I'd like to say that people will go address those before the wake-up call happens. And these wake-up calls, um, Vicky, will come in in many different ways. They come in ways like health issues. You have a health crisis. You all of a sudden get diagnosed with cancer or a thyroid issue or your digestion keeps getting worse and worse and worse. I can give you so many stories. But what happens is it's a wake-up call that if you don't pay attention to, um, then it will show up in your body. Uh, you know, or the wake up call will happen in the form of an infidelity or a, uh, or a divorce, or you got, you know, you start having an affair. Like these are, we're living unconsciously until something happens that wakes us up, that calls us into observe ourselves, look at ourselves, if we're intelligent and we want to heal, to look at ourselves, to take ownership, to own our responsibility, to claim our voice and our power when we've been giving it away and not really knowing who we are, we just adopt other people's values and beliefs and just think, oh, this is the way I should be doing it without really paying attention to ourselves. So it's these wake-up calls, usually which will happen within midlife, that cause us to go, all right, so who the hell am I? Who the fuck am I here? And what is it that I want? And let's create a powerful context so from there you can have healthy relationships. So it is usually a pain that the wake-up call. 
that I noticed from my observation. Yeah. And I mean, if I look at my husband, because I guess he's the closest male to me and I've seen him go through his own personal journey as well. And yeah, was raised, I guess, fairly in a very strict home as well. And it was only until yeah. we had our own children that something surfaced for him. He realized there are a lot of pain points exactly. that he had to deal with. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's usually what will happen is they will go unnoticed. You'll sweep them under the rug until something will trigger them. And there's nothing like having children to bring up unresolved issues of your past. If you had an issue with abandonment, then all of a sudden when you have a child that your vulnerability, your heart will start to open and all of those emotions that you've been burying for so long you could get away with. Now, because your heart has been open through this experience of having a child, an open heart will um, ex- will reveal those vulnerabilities that you haven't properly dealt with as an opportunity for you to learn, to grow, to, and to truly love yourself. And if you don't do that properly, what happens is you become an unconscious parent and you are acting out of your wounds and you're replaying the old traumas that you grew up with. You just pass it down to the next generation if you don't do this work. Absolutely. But how do you support someone? I mean, I know obviously as a partner, it's really important to allow your partner to go through that self-healing process in the journey. But um, yeah, I guess it's also challenging to watch that and to maintain your relationship totally. while someone else is going through that change as well. And the, exactly. The yeah. So good question. The question is, how do you support someone? And here's the answer, because I've dealt with this many times. I'll ask this question. Is your husband asking for my help? No, he's not. Well, then the answer is, it's not my work to do. It's yours. It's not his work to do. It's yours. Okay. So what's happening with you, Vicki, is that you're seeing as you watch your husband struggling you're going to get confronted with certain feelings that are going to come up. And his job is to bring up unresolved issues for you. Right. So what you're going to do is take a look at the, the, the child within you who had a mother who struggled or a father who dealt with addictions or struggled, and you had a real difficult time watching them. And what's happening is your husband going through this struggle is giving you an opportunity. Did you have a parent who struggled with depression or an addiction or a brother or somebody that you really couldn't reach out and help growing up? No. I, I'm i very fortunate that I've been surrounded by so much love and positivity. And, um, yeah, I... Yeah, I'm very fortunate, I guess. You might have been surrounded by love and uh, positivity. That's amazing. But the thing is, is that it's impossible for you to grow without a balance of support and challenge. Yes. This could be something that you could, a, a memory that you could be blocking, you could be repressing, but there was no way that you didn't grow up without some sort of a challenge that had you feeling that you were powerless, that you were uh, not not uh, able to control the situation or worthy of love. Usually it's buried in, in people who say, no, I had an amazing upbringing, amazing childhood. If you really look carefully, you'll notice it might have been in your teenage years where you had a friend or a colleague or something in school. There was some experience of an unresolved, you know what I mean? So yes, that's yes. what you're going to want to look into and really start inquiring. If it's not at a conscious level, 
usually what we'll do is we'll regress people in that and you'll experience it. It could be uh, anything within your environment, friend, family, uh, grandparent, that, that feeling of not being able to solve or fix. So what about um, like people, people in my circle have actually um, let go of their relationships with blood relatives, like severed the tie with their, their mum or, yeah. Yeah, or, their si- or their sister. What's your take yeah. on that? And is it repairable? Good question. This is basically the, the crux of what we do. I mean, people come in to see us sort of an anxiety or they just have some transition in their life and they're not really able to cope. And one of the things we do is is restoring integrity with those relationships. Now, if you have a dysregulated nervous system and you get easily triggered, then it's not as you don't feel safe to be around your family because their lack of ability to see you really triggers you so much. Yes. You're not able, you have them labeled as all sorts of stuff. This is where we see the labels. They're narcissists and these are usually when you see that it's kind of like these labels are a justification we will use to dis, dis, kind of dissociate. Now, there were times in my life when I was going through challenging times, like at my divorce, where when I reached out to my parents for support, they were unable to regulate themselves through my challenge. They brought themselves into it. So they were unable to really see me and support me. I was in a place where I was so lack of resource for myself that out of love, not because I, not because, you know, I hated them. It was because I fully owned and recognized that I lost the ability to self-regulate during that time. And so I put a pin on spending time with them until I could actually feel myself fully resourced and understand myself. Then my, then my work was to heal my relationship with them. So I understand if you dissociate from your family. However, if you give up there and you stop there, you will notice that that disconnection, especially from the primary caregivers of your life, can't go ignored. Absolutely. In other words, there will be an impact. That you, it's your lifeline. Energetically, there's an impact from that dissociation. You might think that you're doing yourself a favor, which you are if you're dysregulated. So take that time to regulate and do the work to, to fully heal and what I call my, you know, the intimacy upgrade. This is what we do in that program. The goal is to restore integrity with all of the, especially the primitive relationships of your life. And when you get this right, all of a sudden, everything starts to shift. Let me give you an example. I really want to share with you what happened. Sure. This woman uh, feeling stuck in her relationship with her partner. Uh, completely disconnected from her job, didn't really, was constantly anxious, feeling codependent with her mother, hadn't spoken to her brother since she was like a teenager, and now she's in her late 30s. Right. Okay? And so the first thing that we did was get her to clear her past resentment towards her brother. Yes. And through these magical tools called the overview method that I've kind of integrated from John Demartini's work, Byron Katie's work, and a whole bunch of somatic work, putting it all together, top down and bottom up, I got her to get a felt sense of appreciation for her brother who used to beat the shit out of her. And she hated him and didn't feel safe. And she was um, holding him hostage to that younger, troubled version of himself 
even in her 30s and wouldn't speak to him. Well, fair enough. Fair enough, exactly. But just by clearing the relationship uh, resentment and finding gratitude in, in the, the experiences she had with him authentically, tearful, loving gratitude to the point where she said, I wouldn't change a thing. Right. We had her then restore integrity with the relationship with her brother. And to call out the fact that, you know, she'd been holding him hostage to the, that version and not giving him any um, credit for any growth or opportunity for healing. In fact, she kept pushing him away the more he would try, right? Yes, so he yes. gave up and he's been troubled because of his relationship disconnection with her. And in that moment, they healed that relationship. They started a whole new relationship. And now she has her brother back in her life. And guess what happened to her self-confidence? Guess what happened to her uh, her relationship limbo with her partner? As soon as she restored that relationship with her brother, brother yeah. all, all of a sudden, that limbo, should I stay or should I go with her current partner, was answered. They, they finally, she had the courage to leave. Amazing. Because now, energetically, she filled that brother void <laughs> with an actual deep, intimate connection. And then all of a sudden, her real self, the answer came out and I was like, oh, okay, so you guys split up. Then we had to deal with the pain of the splitting up and, and, you know, healing from the grief, which came, you know, from her father, losing her father who who died uh, 10 years ago. And she was confused because she still had resentment towards him. And so that gave an opportunity to heal that. So what we're doing is we're taking all of the current challenges you're going through. Yes. And realizing that they all have to do with breakdowns in your primitive relationship. So your friends, so your friends that you're talking about, Vicky, what happens with them, this is not, you know, what do you, what do you say about that? Is that whatever challenge they're going through right now, pick, pick your friends who are saying that they have that, whatever they're going through right now is a transference from the breakdown of the relationship from their past with their primary caregivers and simply by, simply by just not worrying about what's happening in the present and going inside and healing yourself from those old wounds from your past, the answer to what's my next step, what should I do now, should I stay, should I go, what's my purpose, it all comes through you. Nobody needs to tell you any advice, nobody needs to tell you what to do, you then tell me afterwards, we heal that, and then I say, so what's your next move, what do you want to do? And they're like, I know exactly what I'm here to do. I'm, I'm, I, I need to break up with my relationship. I need to be on my own and I'm going to do it now. You know, it's like now you're no longer in limbo. Now you're not stuck anymore. It's scary, but now you are out of the, uh, that paralyzed kind of sitting on yourself. Interesting. But when you talk about, I mean, that, that lady, that example with her brother, in your, I mean, I, I took yoga for 15 years and there's what's called some scars like of the brain, which are like virtually... Um, scars of the mind from experiences that we've had. So yeah. once you heal a toxic yep. relationship, like what she did with her brother, does she mm -hmm. err on the side of caution with him? Like, is it a case of you've been once bitten twice shy? It's like she's had an experience with him. Yes, she's healed the relationship, but she kind of moves with caution in that relationship because she knows that well, past experience she has had been hurtful. Does she have, well, there's always going to be that wound, but what yes. happens is if you arm yourself with the tools of just being real in the moment, being truthful and fully trusting yourself and fully resourcing yourself, other people don't have that power anymore. You know what I mean? 
other people don't have, you're not subordinating. You're not fearing, you know, you don't walk around. Oh my gosh, you know, I don't trust you. I mean, I, I healed my relationship with my parents tremendously. They still trigger the shit out of me. They'll still go into their wounds and <laughs> react the, the way they do. Yes. The problem, yeah. The, the difference is, is that I see through their ego now. I see through, I see the soul behind it. So because I'm aware of that and I'm aware of how to respond in, to my own triggers, I'm not so worried about being vulnerable to you. Okay. Because I don't, I, I, I've stopped, I stopped giving away my power and own it myself. And so am I, when I'm centered in that place, I'm not worried about other people hurting my feelings, hurting me, you know? Interesting. What about relationships with parents where, um, I guess you were dumbed down or perhaps not there where they put so much pressure on, like, I'm just thinking of a, a yeah. you know, totally. Re- you've totally. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. And are yeah. they Greek or Persian yeah, or yeah, you know yeah. ethnic? Yes, definitely. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Okay, got it. Yeah, okay, yeah. talk I dealt to with me. That. We have many of those. Yeah, so I have a lot of Greek. I have a lot of Greek clients. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah. I have a lot of Greek clients with or Persian, where it's gotta be a certain thing, right? And so here's the thing. Here's the difference. Once you've taken on this work, what I call the upgrade. Once you've upgraded intimacy with yourself, you're able to resource yourself to really be able to upgrade your relationship with your younger self. Right. You now see that everything that they were saying of not good enough, not good enough, not good enough, you actually get a felt sense of it, that it's not because of your unworthiness. You don't interpret it as I'm not enough or I'm not I'm not worthy, you now see your parents' pressure as a manifestation of their own fears rather than your own inadequacy. Absolutely. Ooh, I need I need to I need you to write that down. That that just came. <laughs> that just yes. came. That was a Sorry, that's a meme right it. there. Yes. It's true. It's so true. And a lot of them were migrants, right? So the pressure that they felt they placed on, you know, it was a new opportunity, new beginning at life, a new second chance. So they really put the pressure on their children to be the to, to be the best. To be the best based on what they perceived it was. And so in my case, my parents were like, you know, you, you, know, you shouldn't be a chiropractor. You should be a medical doctor. And yeah. so I went into <laughs> chiropractic. I killed it in chiropractic, doing amazing. And then I was like, yeah, I'm bored. I want to travel the world and teach. And they're like, are you crazy? You're this. What if you this? And so before I used to interpret that as I'm not enough. They don't trust me. They, you know, all of that story. And now I see it as they were projecting fear. All of it. There's nothing but love. So when I can, but not until I fully resource myself, not until I fully own myself, they are simply providing me a mirror of what I'm feeling about myself. Their doubts towards me were merely mirroring my doubts towards myself as an opportunity for me to get that certainty. And I wouldn't be where I am today being able to stand in any in any arena with any haters, any critics, and be able to stand there and just speak yes. from my heart Yes, if it wasn't for parents that questioned every fucking <laughs> step that I needed to take. Everything that I wanted to do, yeah. if my parents were like, good for you, we support you, whatever, instead of them speaking up and going, well, what the hell are you doing? I don't think that's a great idea. It forced me to become resourceful and have certainty. I wouldn't have the certainty I wouldn't have the success as a chiropractor, as a speaker in a, in a field where there's so many 
uh, coaches and all of that stuff. They would always say, there's so many coaches. What are you going to do? You, you, you know, what are you trying to be? And I was just like, no, I actually believe in this. I've come up with, I have a magical formula. And I believe that it's not common and other coaches don't teach this. And I had to get that certainty within myself. So now I can go and travel the world knowing that there's so many others that, you know, claim to do the same, but I, it forced me to distinguish myself. And so I wouldn't be, I, I'm grateful for their uh, resistance because it's given me certainty. It's pushed me into my purpose. So that's how you do it. How do you deal with it is you find gratitude in it. Interesting. Well, there's a silver lining, right? Your experience is a great one. But what about um, people who, I guess, are never happy because of those imprints and what was said to them that, you know, they just don't have yet? We have two choices, okay? We basically have a choice of consistently looking in the past and wishing it were different or applying a few principles and tools and learning the art and science of gratitude, learning the art and science of neuroplasticity. Like we deal with people with trauma. It's not easy to find gratitude for car accidents and, and, and really tragic events and being abandoned and all of this. And, and your ego really wants to stay stuck in a victim state. And so I'm not, I'm not denying that, that there will be resistance. Of course, your ego will resist every step of the way. The yes. difference is, is that you only have this one life. Are you going to stay stuck in that story and keep saying it's hard? Or are you just going to say this is part of the work and keep climbing? Because on the other side is freedom. So how, how, how hard do you want to work towards your freedom? That's the question. If you're resistant to the work. Yeah. Let's talk about um, romantic relationships now. And I mean, obviously, um, I've been with my husband for 21 years and we've done a lot of work on our marriage and we've done the whole marriage counseling thing over the years. And, you know, we're very similar. Our values are very similar. And I think that's what's kept us together. But we're also very different people. Um, so talk yeah. to me about when you faced with a challenge in your relationship and it gets to a point of, you know, no fun and all these disagreements and, you know, you pick on, you know, you pick on the petty things like, you know, who does more housework than the other. Or, you know. Totally. I mean, these totally. are normal things, right? But how do we, yeah. I guess, heal or, um, yeah, romantically, how do we keep it strong yeah. and flowing and nice? Yeah. That's a good question. How do we keep it? Rom you know, these are these are great questions, and I, I appreciate that they're you know based on all of your you know your curiosities about this, right? Um, there's a few things that I you know I really would love you know hold on one second. I had this written down re regarding uh, romance because you know when you're living with someone and you're dealing with life, life the life management side of things is not pretty. It's like who's paying this, who's doing that, who's picking up the kids, who's cleaning. You know, it's like this. Yeah, they take they take the fun out of it. They take the pizzazz out of it. So it's it's difficult to do. How do you man manage to maintain? Here's what I want you to to understand. There's a inverse relationship right between intimacy and romance. Okay. Intimacy is that feeling of being seen and being known. In order for romance to be there, it requires an element of surprise. Yes. Okay? Yes. So it's kind of a surprise act of desire brings up this feeling of romance. Right. Okay? Romance and intimacy are, are, are not the same because you can have extreme amount of romance and no... Um, and no intimacy whatsoever. You can have romance without intimacy. 
Okay. You know? Okay. So romance depends basically on an element of mystery and surprise. Okay. So it's, that's the characteristic of new love, you know? It's, and and we, we idealize this. This is what we all want. This yes. is what the movies are about. This is what <laughs> the songs are about, right? Yes. So the romantic feelings, though, they're evoked by being surprised right. by signs of desire and belonging, loyalty, and significance. Keep this in mind. Okay. By being surprised by signs of desire, belonging, loyalty, and significance. Okay? So, like I said, you can have romantic feelings yep. without any deep intimacy whatsoever. You can have romance without, I mean, how many times have you, you know, this, you, sw- you, you, you meet somebody, uh, you know, on a vacation and it just all of a sudden becomes this romantic thing, but you could, the person could be totally fucking lying to you or right. you, the, you know, there's a <laughs> complete lack of intimacy the whole time, right? Because it's about the desire, you know, you can have one, you, you can have the romance and it does not require intimacy, okay? So check this out. As you've been together, how many years? 20 years? 21 years. Yeah. 21 years. So as you come to be with them for 21 years with your husband, you, you start to expect after a while, what was previously a surprise. Right. Exactly. Okay. So what happens is the romance naturally will decrease as a result. You know what I mean? But here's the dilemma, psychological intimacy with one another, knowing one another, like knowing your deep darkness with each other, as you do after 21 years. It's a function of being known, right? Intimacy is a function of being known. This experience of being known automatically lowers any mystique of the other. So they they don't have the element of mystique and surprise. So the romance is going to go down naturally. Of course. Okay. So the deeper and the more mature your love is, okay, the more likely that romance becomes a function of situational surprise right? instead of characterizing the relationship as romance. Right. So in other words, as you mature in your love for one another, you create romance through situational surprise. It's not something you turn to your husband and say, why are you not? You're just not romantic. Romance becomes something that Vicky creates as your love matures. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yes. You are responsible. You create it. So if I know that that's it and I create this experience for you that makes you feel seen and heard and loved and desired and belonging, all of a sudden you feel that and I single-handedly created it myself. So it becomes my responsibility, but only if there's a deeper, more mature love, right? which requires me to because the, the element of surprise and newness is not there. I'm always the one booking, you know, the holidays and the dates. And yeah, I guess it's not in his, um, he's just gotten used to me doing all that. So, right. <laughs> but, yeah. I just, but I enjoy been, doing it. So you, as long as one person... Yes. Does it? I exactly. guess that's the key, but, right? But there's different, there's different forms of it, right? There's different forms of it. So you doing that and you doing the work of seeing yourself and communicating and all of that stuff, you can create it a function of you going deeper within yourself. Interesting. So what about when you're bickering and like how do you move on from, um, you know, if you're compromising often and if you're – you're having these um, constant like disagreements, and I mean that really kills the vibe a lot of the time. 
<laughs> totally, totally. This is okay. So here's 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 the answer to this. Now, first and foremost, this is saying, you know, uh, I'm not here to get like this is you wanted to take this towards relationships. I'm not claiming to be a relationship expert. Yes. You're the one who's been married for 21 years. I haven't. So <laughs> communication. I'm not is here key. to give you. Yeah, I'm not here to give you uh, a, a relationship advice. However, as you're talking about your your challenge here. Well, what I know to be true is if you take on the relationship, that the role of the relationship has a function. It has a function to allow you to grow, to be connected to meaning, and to hold you accountable to being your authentic self. Not to always just support you. Not just to always support you, but to keep you centered and balanced when you're cocky and elated and high on yourself, they bring you down. Or when you're feeling low about yourself, they bring you up. And so the role is to just have present moment intimacy um, and not expect the other person to fill what's missing inside. You see that it becomes a spiritual practice. Then you'll take it on that however their being is a reflection of you. So when the bickering is happening, you're instead of blaming them, you're able to look at that. And it's an opportunity for you to look inside, see what feelings have come up what core wounds have been activated and then to give to, to, to be there to, you know, hold a mirror of what's not healed yet. And you take the time to reparent and heal yourself. Mm. So that's how you end the bickering is you stop expecting them to stop triggering you and you take full responsibility for your triggers and you try to find the, the wounds that this is bringing up that you can, heal yourself. So the relationship becomes completely redefined. It becomes a spiritual practice Yes, for you. Yeah, absolutely. So when you look at people um, uh, who suffer depression and anxiety, is, do you, would, in your opinion, a most in most cases, is it a result of the relationships around them that have broken down? Absolutely. There's many causes. First and foremost, you have to start with the, you know, the, the, the foundational pieces. Okay. If they, you know, if their nervous system is out of alignment, uh, you know, getting chiropractic adjustments, um, they're, they're stressed, their nervous system is dysregulated. Um, so having, you know, some sort of a practices and, and rituals and routines that, you know, regulate your nervous system. And then you want to also look at past traumas that are going that you know that are unresolved so the depression and anxiety don't, don't just pop up for nothing usually there's been a precipitating factor was it after a divorce did they get fired from the job did a parent die yes you know yes, what i mean there's yes. these are situational events that leave stains on the nervous system that really when somebody comes to me in that i'd be like okay so what's been going on in the last six months to a year that have you feeling stuck in that emotional state uh, that you can't get out of. And so we find out what the events are. So it's really event-based. Yeah, right. So the, the depression and anxiety, we want to look at the events. And there's usually an event that brought it on. And it's mostly relational. Yes, you know? yes. Or, you know, this one gentleman that uh, reached out, he got fired from his job. There was a court case and everything, but ends up, he wins, but then he has to relocate to another city. And that was six months ago. And he just hasn't been the same since. He's been sedating himself, angry. Uh, it's probably brought on old trauma. So we don't deal with depression and anxiety as a treatment for something. It's really just about looking and going, your body is not malfunctioning. You don't have a disorder. 
your body is perfectly working as an adaptation to certain challenges, traumas that have come up recently, which are transferences from older wounds. And your duty is to go and heal them all so that you can then, you know, be the one who's self-healing. Yeah, right. So, but really people have to do the work. <laughs> you can't not yeah. do the work. No healing is possible. That's why many people go to doctors. Yeah. People go to doctors so they can be told what they have so that they can take pills just to avoid doing the work. And what do we mean by the work? It means going into your triggers, going into those old wounds, seeing them, re-experiencing them, transforming your relationship with your younger self, learning how to reparent that younger self, learning how to breathe, learning how to be intentional, creating a future self. Yes, it's a whole lot. Taking responsibility instead of being a victim. This is most people aren't up for the task. And that's why I stopped my full-time chiropractic practice I sold that and I said, screw that. I only want to work with people who are serious. Yes. So I have strict kind of policies of who can work with me now. They're not, you know, just anyone coming in uh, just to, you know, I want to heal this, uh, fix me doc. I'm like, okay, no, you're actually... I want to work with the people who want to become self-healers. Who want to help themselves, and take exactly. take on the work. Well, that's like you said, I mean, there's a lot of work involved in healing yourself through from the relationships. But most people obviously turn to medication. Yeah. yeah. Or sedation of some sort, medication of some sort. Yes. Sometimes the, 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 the medication is another relationship. Right. Sometimes the medication is alcohol. Sometimes yeah. the medication is food. sex, pornography, uh, food. Like these are, these are sedation to forms to avoid the difficult work of looking and being responsible. And what's changing is people are now realizing that, yes, it's work. Yes, it costs. Yes, it's an investment of time and effort. But the alternative is unbearable. Absolutely. Yes, it's difficult. Yeah, I'd rather have my partner do the work so they, they don't trigger me. But the truth is they're not. And so I could leave this situation and find someone else. But then those issues, which are unresolved that I carry around like a backpack, are going to show up in the next situation. Mm. And I can keep running and my world will get smaller. And each time unaddressed, the wound gets bigger. It just it just it amplifies. And so people show up in their, you know, midlife going, what the fuck? And so we just got to peel it back. And so the alternative to doing the work is unbearable. What about, talk to us about trigger-proof, because I love the term trigger-proof. I think, I mean, it's applicable for in every situation, you know, even just driving here to the studio this morning, I was like stuck in a bit of traffic. I'm like, okay, breathe, do my yoga, breathing is fine. And typically I'm pretty cool, calm and collected. But I know certain people and, you know, trigger emotions in people. So what are your keys to being trigger-proof? Good question. I, so I have a, the title of my uh, YouTube show. I do a live, live show every week uh, called Trigger Proof. And it. the key component to this is trigger proof doesn't mean trigger less. Right. Okay. It doesn't mean you're not going to get your buttons pushed. It doesn't mean people aren't going to piss you off. It doesn't mean you're never going to get angry. It just means in your day as you walk the earth in the unknown when things don't go your way, when you people, when you get criticized, when someone you know says something, or you get a betrayal, or something happens, that you have gained the mental capacity and awareness 
and emotional regulation that you're able to self-resource rather than have others resource for you. And it comes to four major components that I've been working with thousands of people that I discovered that everybody wants the exact same thing. And this is what being trigger-proof really means. It means, number one, healing your relationships. Okay? Healing them, the ones that are broken down friends, these ones that lack integrity, these open loops are creating anxiety in your psyche and they need to be completed, which takes a lot of courage. First, that's why, you know, that being trigger-proof takes courage, number one. Number two is emotional regulation. Yes, so, so scaling up. You know, my flat tire, you know, my, my car battery died when I was on the ferry from Victoria to Vancouver, Yeah. Uh, two-hour ferry ride, and boom, just as I'm leaving, my battery dies, and it's like, oh, shit, Aww. and then I get a phone call as a disaster from work is going on at the same time. And it normally would have had me go through the rails, but I was able to govern my own mind rather than watch my mind emotionally go into beating myself up. Why is this happening to me? Victimhood. I was able to emotionally regulate and in a calm manner be able to uh, work my way through the whole thing one after the other. Now, that was impossible. And so if you want to have leadership, you must learn how to emotionally regulate. You want to step up into entrepreneurship and face your fears, you must learn how to emotionally regulate. If you want to be a salesperson doing sales calls, you must learn how to emotionally regulate. So number two is emotional regulation. Number three is aligning with purpose. See, our triggers, our reactivity, our wounds, our, our traumas, our dramas, have disconnected us from our higher selves, disconnected us from ourselves. That's what our triggers, our triggers literally are a disconnection from yourself. So when you're disconnected from yourself, living in triggers or unconscious of your triggers, you won't even realize it, but you'll start saying things like, I feel like, uh, uh, you know, the untethered soul. You know, I feel like a soul that doesn't have a grounding. I don't know who I am. Who, who am I really? I just feel like I'm there to please everybody else, you know? So when you learn how to be this trigger proof and you get it right, you start to feel like you're aligning with a purpose and then your life has a meaning, you know, life is suffering. That's what Buddha says. Life is suffering, just what it is. But as Jordan Peterson says, you can handle it. You're stronger than you think. And it becomes more possible if you can strap a cross on your back and bear some sort of meaning and meaning is what makes you resilient. So aligning with purpose gives you meaning, and that's what everybody wants. That's what most people feel disconnected from when they reach out to me. And number four, the most important thing is in our relationships, we want to be able to level up our intimacy, okay, which basically in my relationship, which is ever since I started taking on this work, something made magical started happening, which is I could now stop having to pretend and lie to my parents because I was worried about their disapproval. I could just be myself, have them disapprove of me, and that way their reaction towards it, which I used to uh, blame for my, you know, withholding the truth from them as a Persian kid. I used to blame, well, they can't handle it. Well, the truth is I couldn't handle their reaction to my truth. And until I was able to resource my intimacy with them went up because I can now stop pretending with them. I can tell them the truth and have them react and respond however way, and it doesn't affect how much I love myself or them. 
that's trigger proof. And so that can be happen with your family, can have with your kids. And when you level up your intimacy, now your experience of life changes because you took the time to become trigger proof. Absolutely. And that is true freedom. That's really what it's about. Yeah. Yeah. That is true freedom. That's, that's the work I teach. And so in order to become trigger proof, you must commit to becoming a self healer because to not do that, what most people do is my husband pisses me off. He should go get help. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, what you're actually saying is he's con- his behavior is confronting me so much. I'm not able to uh, regulate myself because of the wounding that he's bringing up in me right now. And because I'm not able to do that and be able to hold space for myself and for him, then he needs to change. Or my mm. son has these problems. And I'm just like, your son has no interest in resolving it. This is your issue. No, it's yeah. not it. So you have to, you know, your biggest obstacle is your own ego. <laughs> Amazing. One final question for you. I mean, this show is all mostly about longevity and living longer, stronger, happier, healthier lives. But what are your mm-hmm. top three tips for living longer, stronger, happier, healthier life? Yeah, it, it all has to do with the mind because, you know, of course I can tell you eat right, eat, eat less, move more, plant-based diet. Like these are obvious, but why aren't we doing this? Because we don't have a purpose in our lives to do those things. And when you actually take the time to upgrade your intimacy, the tips are this. Here we go. I'll give you five tips. Number one, number one is regulate your nervous system. Learn how to regulate your nervous system. Number two, clear your past resentments and trauma. Yeah, absolutely. Number three, this is, this is the key to living a happy, healthy care, having greater relationships. Number three is learn how to dance with the inner roommate. Okay. <laughs> your little dark passenger, the little ego shadow self that's constantly saying, talking to you and saying that you're not, it's not possible, you're not worthy. Learn how to dance with that little fucker. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Number four is learn how to empathically communicate with your younger self and and then therefore you'll empathically communicate with others. My level of empathy went from pure narcissism to absolute superpowers in empathy when I took this on. So empathic communication with your younger self gives you empathic understanding of other people. Yes. Okay. And then number five is you must be committed to the process of self-healing. Yes, yes, You yes. must know that this work is the foundation of everything else you'll ever learn because anything else you learn outside of, from this, outside of this self-love work is like putting in a software on a hardware that, um, you know, has a virus in it. Yeah, exactly. This exactly. is foundational. You must be committed and you must have a community of people who are up to the same conversation. Yeah, totally. Because most communities that you're hanging out with are just talking about complaints, what's not working, you know, uh, the past. You know, it's just you must be out of that conversation and only speaking in a communities and, and mentors and guides and areas where the conversation is elevated into possibility. So those are my five tips, and that's the that's the global community that I've created, and this is the foundation of, of what we do. Thank you so much, Dr. Nima. Have a wonderful evening there, and um, we'll be in All touch. Right. 
Thanks so much for joining me today. I really hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and follow me on our YouTube channel, One Body, One Life, to see more inspirational videos to help you reach optimal wellness and longevity. But until next time, don't forget, you've got to nourish to flourish.